One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. Truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Fewer people are convinced by the story each day as they begin to see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. The time for allowing them to make us feel like strangers in our own country is over. We are Americans. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. This is the end game. It's Friday, January 28th, 2022, the 373rd day of dystopia. My friends, we have achieved full narrative collapse. But before we get into that, if you want to follow the show throughout the day, see what I'm reading Get the links to the articles I talk about on the show. Go to t.me slash I'm your moderator. Download the Telegram app on your computer or your phone or wherever you like. t.me slash I'm your moderator. If you want to get to the merch site, you go to cancelcouture.com or shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. My writing, I'm your moderator.substack.com. And if you are able and would like to support the show financially, there is a crypto wallet address in the episode description, or you can simply go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. That's ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And hey, if you listen to this on Apple podcasts and you have not done so before, go ahead and leave the podcast a five-star rating, and write a review if you're feeling like a nice person. So let's get started. Yesterday in the afternoon, maybe early evening, 
news began coming out about a phone call between the fake president, Joe Biden, and Ukraine's president, Volodymyr Zelensky. Early reports about the phone call were that it was an absolute disaster for Joe Biden. And I think you will find out that that's true. But the fake administration also tried to change the narrative and squash these stories. And Jack Posobiec was all on top of it the entire night. So I'm going to go through some of what he was posting and sharing last night. Right off the bat, he said, Ukrainian president has to correct Biden multiple times on their call today when he insisted Kiev was about to be sacked by Russian forces. At one point, Zelensky even asked Biden to calm down. Apparently, Biden was unaware of the talks going on this week in Paris between Germany, France, Russia and Ukraine. And right around the same time, it was announced by Ukraine and Russia that they had agreed to a quote unquote ceasefire, not that any sort of fire had actually started. And then CNN released an article about this phone call, and I'm going to read that for you. A senior Ukrainian official tells CNN the recent call between President Biden and Zelensky did not go well. That's a quote with disagreements resurfacing on the risk levels regarding a possible Russian attack on the call described by the official as long and frank. He said Biden told his Ukrainian counterpart that a Russian attack may be imminent. According to the official President Zelensky of Ukraine restated his position that the threat from Russia remains, quote, dangerous, but ambiguous, end quote. But it is not certain, Zelensky said, that an attack will take place. According to the official, President Biden disagreed, insisting an invasion was now virtually certain once the ground had frozen later in February, the official told CNN, adding that the U.S. president said the Ukrainian capital, Kiev, could be sacked and that Russian forces may attempt to occupy it. President Biden, according to the official, told his Ukrainian counterpart that the country would not be getting significantly more military help. There would be no U.S. troops. President Biden is reported to have reiterated no sophisticated weapon systems and no progress on NATO. Ukraine should, in the words of President Biden, quote, prepare for impact. According to the official, the official said that President Biden rejected Ukrainian calls for sanctions to be imposed upon Russia ahead of any invasion, saying that the U.S. leader again made clear that sanctions would only be imposed on Moscow after a Russian advance into Ukrainian territory, what's also known as a minor incursion. In his response, the official told CNN that President Zelensky urged his American counterpart to, quote, calm down the messaging, end quote, warning of the economic impact of panic. He also said Ukrainian intelligence sees the threat differently, as do other countries in Europe. The Ukrainian leader pointed to a recent breakthrough in negotiations with Russia in Paris, saying that he hoped a ceasefire agreement with rebels in eastern Ukraine would be maintained. He also said U.S.-Russia-NATO talks still had some distance to run before diplomatic efforts had been exhausted. And that was Matthew Chance writing for CNN from Kiev. And so that piece of news immediately upset a lot of people because, of course, this makes Joe Biden look uninformed and weak and pathetic and terrible at the job he doesn't really have. 
And it also does major damage to the wag the dog narrative, perhaps unrecoverable damage at this point. But the fake incompetent administration is planning to have Mark Milley and Lloyd Austin go out and give a press conference today. Apparently, the military industrial complex elements that control Joe Biden are so unsatisfied with his job that they're going to attempt to do it themselves. And they are going to put two of the most idiotic characters we have ever seen in political life. Go on out there and attempt to sell a war that no one else in the entire world wants. Most importantly, Russia or Ukraine. So a few minutes after that story went live, it got deleted from CNN's website. And Jack Posobiec writes, we may have just caught a CNN reporter deleting a war report that exposed the truth about the White House and Ukraine. And now it looks like the White House pressured them to pull it. The American people deserve the truth. And he notes that CNN reporter and intelligence community shill Natasha Bertrand posted screenshots of that article on her Twitter feed saying per senior Ukrainian official to Matthew Chance CNN, Biden told Zelensky that a Russian invasion of Ukraine is now virtually certain and that Kiev could be sacked. Prepare for impact, Biden reportedly said. Zelensky disagreed and, as I reported, asked him to tone down rhetoric. And she took that down. Posobiec writes, Zelensky's office is now also denying the CNN report. At this point, we cannot play any more games. We demand the full transcript. The American people deserve the truth. And now release the transcript is trending on Twitter. And they're actually making some hay with this. Remember, release the transcript about the Ukraine call between Donald Trump and Zelensky? Well, Adam Schiff made up his own version of the transcript and read that into the congressional record. And then an actual transcript was released showing that Adam Schiff had indeed made up his version of the transcript and that there was nothing wrong with the actual call. They nonetheless staged an impeachment over it and Donald Trump was acquitted after his trial in the Senate for impeachment hoax number one. Now Joe Biden has a phone call with Zelensky where he actually tried to convince the leader of another country in the world that there would definitely be a war on his soil, even though he and Putin do not think that's going to be the case. Biden was trying to convince Ukraine's president, that something was going to happen there, no matter what, prepare for impact. Now, that's not the only reporting from CNN last night. They did it on television, too. We have breaking news for you in our world lead. A senior Ukrainian official tells CNN that today's phone call between President Biden and Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky, quote, did not go well. Our source tells CNN that the two disagreed about the immediacy of the threat of a Russian attack on Ukraine. The White House and Pentagon have been emphatic that they believe an attack could be imminent. We should note the White House just released its own readout of that call, and there was no mention of President Biden's warnings or the two presidents' disagreements. The White House did say 
Biden underscored America's commitment to Ukraine's sovereignty. CNN's Matthew Chance joins us now live from Kiev, Ukraine with more. Matthew, what more are you learning about this disagreement on the Biden-Zelensky call? How heated did it get? I'm not sure I could characterize how heated it got, but there was definitely a disagreement about the sort of level of risk that the country is facing uh, when it comes to a, a Russian invasion. On the one hand, you've got President Biden. This is according to an official who briefed me on the, on the conversation that was had on the telephone call uh, this evening. On the one hand, President Biden saying the threat is imminent. I mean, we've heard this before. The Ukrainians pushing back on that, saying that the, uh, the threat, according to their intelligence analysts, is a bit more ambiguous than that. And it's, a, it's possible that there won't be an invasion, whereas uh, President Biden apparently telling his Ukrainian counterpart that an invasion was virtually certain later on in February when the ground uh, becomes uh, uh, more frozen in this country. He went on to say that he, he warned the Ukrainian uh, leader that the capital, Kiev, this city here, uh, could be sacked. And that, that's, that's the word he apparently used, according to this uh, Ukrainian official, sacked by Russian forces, who he said may attempt to occupy it. There was also some, some quite bad news uh, delivered, although expected news, I think, delivered uh, by the uh, US president to the Ukrainian side. President Biden, according to this official who, uh, who briefed me on the conversation, uh, saying uh, that he told the Ukrainian leader that Ukraine would not be getting significantly more military help, that there would be no US troops sent to Ukraine to defend it. We already, we already knew that, of course, but it was reiterated again uh, on this phone call. Um, also, no sophisticated weapons, uh, further sophisticated weapons delivered to Ukraine from the United States. There would be no progress on NATO and there would be no sanctions imposed on Russia preemptively. That would only happen once Russia invades. Uh, let me just get this, this line out. Quite impactful, if you forgive me. Uh, President Biden telling his counterpart that Ukraine should prepare for impact. So quite a stark warning there from the U.S. leader. All right, Matthew Chance reporting live for us in Kiev, Ukraine. Thank you so much. So after that report came out and hit CNN's airwaves, Posobiec writes, looks like Natasha couldn't get to Jake Tapper fast enough before he went to air with the same Ukraine report she had already deleted. Yikes. And now I have that archived as well. And Posobiec is a top notch troll, particularly when it comes to D.C. media. CNN is now accusing CNN of spreading war propaganda on CNN. This is where we're at on the Ukraine call leak. CNN immediately went and removed the tweet of the Tapper report from their Twitter. And then everybody in the media, anyone on the fake administration side began to try to scale all of this back as quickly as possible. It seems, I'll take Posobiec's word for it, it seems like the White House got the CNN reports taken down and now they've just been doing PR ever since. This is the White House readout of President Biden's call with President Zelensky of Ukraine. President Joseph R. Biden Jr., spoke today with President Volodymyr Zelensky of Ukraine. President Biden reaffirmed the readiness of the United States, along with its allies and partners, to respond decisively if Russia further invades Ukraine. He also underscored the commitment of the United States to Ukraine's sovereignty and territorial integrity. President Biden noted the United States has provided Ukraine with over half a billion dollars in development and humanitarian assistance in the last year 
and is exploring additional macroeconomic support to help Ukraine's economy amidst pressure resulting from Russia's military buildup. President Biden made clear that despite the departure of American family members of embassy personnel, the U.S. embassy in Kiev remains open and fully operational. The leaders discussed coordinated diplomatic efforts on European security, underscoring the principle of nothing about Ukraine without Ukraine. President Biden relayed the United States support for conflict resolution efforts in the Normandy format, expressing his hope that the side's recommitment on January 26th to the terms of the July 2020 ceasefire will help decrease tensions and advance the implementation of the Minsk agreements. So the report went out, maybe generated by the military industrial complex or Intel community leaking what happened on the call. The report went out. The White House immediately tried to squash the report. CNN complied, even though the report had already gone out. And now they have taken those reports down. The White House press office run by Jen Psaki or whoever runs Jen Psaki is in damage control mode. And then today, the president of Ukraine himself went out for a press conference. How do you think that went for Joe Biden? So activities, some uh, um, questions, and we are uh, grateful to the United States for their ongoing support to our sovereignty and uh, territorial integrity. But I'm the president of Ukraine. I'm based here. And I think I know the details deeper than any other president. The question is not uh, about the U.S. president, because, well, we do understand what the risks are and which of those risks are priority. Uh, risks. And we've discussed lots of questions. I would like to explain uh, this a little bit. It's important that that the president should know the situation from me, not from the intermediaries. He knows the situation from me personally, and uh, we, we're talking to each other. We'll have another conversation in a couple of weeks as well. But it's important not only for our intelligence community and secret services to exchange information. People need to be here and understand all the details. I understand you are here. I don't know how long you have been here. I am the president of Ukraine. I am based here. And I think I know the details better than any other president. Wonder who he was talking about. They ran the entire impeachment hoax number one over Ukraine to provide cover for Joe Biden, Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton in their shady dealings in Ukraine, Russia and elsewhere. That is why that impeachment of Donald Trump happened in the first place. And what happens now? They want to use Ukraine as the grounds to stage the war show so that somehow they can get the American public back on Joe Biden's side. And somehow the military industrial complex can capitalize in the investment they made in helping Joe Biden steal an election along with all of the other members of the Democrat Communist Party and all of the rhinos who are essentially communists with an R next to their name. All of them have tried to do this thing together to create this war out of nothing, and they are failing. Joe Biden right now is fully exposed. Okay, and what I mean when I say that is everybody has their eyes on him. Everybody understands who and what he is now. Everybody knows how all of these different things connect and intersect. 
the corruption with Hunter Biden, the first impeachment of Donald Trump, Joe Biden holding back U.S. aid until Ukraine fired the prosecutor who was investigating Burisma and its dealings with Joe and Hunter Biden. And if that sounds unfamiliar to you, here's a reminder. Commitment from Poroshenko, they would take action against the state prosecutor, and they didn't. I said, I'm telling you, you're not getting a billion dollars. I said, you're not getting a billion. I'm going to be leaving here. I think it was, what, six hours? I looked, I said, I'm leaving in six hours. If the prosecutor's not fired, you're not getting the money. Oh, son of a <laughs> got fired. And they put in place someone who was solid at the time. So there it is, just in case you didn't believe me or in case you have woken up much more recently and you're not familiar with the background of all of this stuff. These are the sorts of things that over the last five or six years drew me completely out of the liberal slumber. This is Joe Biden giving a speech bragging about withholding a billion dollars in U.S. aid to Ukraine in order to get a prosecutor fired who was investigating the oligarch-owned energy company Burisma that was currently paying his son Hunter Biden $50,000 a month to do nothing. And that part is absolutely bad enough but a lot of people miss what he actually says there at the end. That is never the focus. When you listen to this, he leans over, puts his hand on the guy's shoulder next to him, all chummy, you know, good old Scranton Joe, good old chummy, decent Joe, puts his hand on his shoulder and he says, and I replaced him with someone who was really solid at the time. Now, you see, people always ask, why does nothing happen? Okay, fine. You're showing me this video. It's out there. It's a few years old. How come nothing happened? Well, what is the answer? Like, answer that question for yourself. You know why nothing happened. First off, the media didn't show you. Second, a lot of people saw it and got immediately defeated, believing that because in the past nothing has happened to, the, to people like this when they do these things, that in the future nothing will happen to people like this when they do these things. That is a completely black-pilled, defeatist attitude. There is no reason to think that whatsoever. And the reason I want people to answer that question for yourself is because you have to turn that question back inward, right? Why do you expect other people to care about things you don't care about? So you either do care about this obvious corruption or you don't. If you don't, I mean, good luck, Kami. Continue living that way. Try to capitalize on this period as much as you can and know for certain that whatever you are doing that depends on the central narrative being maintained is going to end. I don't care what it is. I don't care how much money is behind it. I don't care how much corruption is behind it. I don't care how many politicians and influencers and powerful people you know. None of it will matter. All of it, all of it is going to get turned on its head. The thing is, people do care now. And if you're not among them, if you are blackpilled, if you think nothing's going to happen, again, fine. Go with that. Good luck. But that's not the world we exist in right now. 
because of our ability to communicate and spread information and understand and analyze information, the speed at which we do it, the passage of information, the control of the information stream, the breaking of the central narrative is literally going to prevent a war in Ukraine. You have to understand that it's not just that Joe Biden is dumb and inept and can't get the things for the military industrial complex that they want out of him, that the globalists want out of him. He's not capable of doing those things. That's correct. But they could still force the issue and they're trying and they're still failing. They're about to send the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Mark Milley, and the secretary of defense, Lloyd Austin out to do a press conference where military industrial complex, globalist, Intel community linked media members will ask them softball questions and they will still mess up the answers. That's what's going to happen. I think the press conference is starting in like 10 minutes or something, but that's what's going to happen because Millie and Lloyd Austin are idiots and liars and they don't realize as much of the world continues to fail to realize their narrative is broken. They are fully exposed. Everyone can see what they're doing and see it for what it is. And every time they go overboard, every time they get desperate and try too hard to make one of their plans work out what happens, what they end up doing is further exposing themselves and by virtue of doing that, they actually expose their past crimes and corruption. And that is what ha is happening right now. Why in the world would any intelligent person think it's a good idea to take Joe Biden and have him focus all of his attention on Ukraine? That is a recipe for disaster. They live once again, I'm going to repeat this because it's important to remember always they live in a very, very constricted media and social media bubble where all the ideas in there are part of the central narrative. They just repeat different parts of the central narrative back and forth to one another all day. They have little pretend arguments. They agree about all the parts of the central narrative, but they have slightly different opinions about it. And sometimes it's very controversial. But it's all the same thing. And even the left is now trying to pound the war drums. They want to go to war in Ukraine because they know it's one of the only things that can save this administration. They are literally just repeating the administration's slogans. And now they find themselves cozying up to Liz Cheney and Dick Cheney and begging for war to protect the sovereign border of a country who's not our ally on the other side of the world while they choose to let 3 million illegal immigrants a year come in through our southern border and everyone else except them can see it for exactly what it is. And speaking of the narrative endgame, President Zelensky of Ukraine knows exactly what the problem is here. It was at that time, at the peak time in early 2021, it was very intense. But such informational uh, attitude towards Ukraine, and it's a question not only to you, but to the world, there was no such coverage at that time of Ukraine. 
And uh, we've talked to the president. We've talked to, about this. We think that it has to be there has to be a balanced approach. I'm not saying that they he's influencing uh, American media, the independent, but. The media policy there has to be very well balanced. If they want to know what the situation is, that they, they can come to Kiev. Do we have tanks on the street? No. But the feeling is, if you're not here, the feeling is when you listen to them in Germany, in, 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 in France, in Lithuania, I'm talking to the president of Lithuania and other leaders, the, the image that mass media creates is that we have troops on the roads, we have mobilization, people are leaving for places. That's not the case. We don't need this panic. That's a very important moment. I'm not saying that that escalation is excluded. We have been talking about this for eight years now. It has happened already. The escalation did already happen. Part The de-escalation already happened. That's what he just said. The American media is inventing this crisis out of absolutely nothing because they believe they can create war anywhere. That is what they have always done. That is what they are continuing to attempt to do. There's no buildup in Kiev. There are not tanks in the streets. People are not fleeing. People are going about their lives. The American media might as well be trying to convince you that a war is about to start wherever you live. You would be driving around and you'd be like, well, this is this is strange. This is what it looks like when a war is starting. There's literally nothing different. The media The military-industrial complex, the intel communities, the globalists, and the fake president, Joe Biden, are not going to get their war in Ukraine. And now we start to see the hints that they will begin pressing toward a confrontation with China over Taiwan. Now, before we get into some other more important stuff, I want to say something about Neil Young giving Spotify an ultimatum that either they must take down Joe Rogan's podcast for which they entered into a hundred million dollar contract or take Neil Young's catalog down. Now, I got a call from a friend in Hollywood yesterday who has some friends in the entertainment community, and it turns out that Neil Young actually is not capable of using his own social media. And his wife, Daryl Hannah, the actress, was the one who was actually responsible for posting that. And that kind of makes sense because after that came out, people realized that Neil Young didn't actually own his own catalog anymore, which is a normal thing. And Donald Trump Jr. posted a picture that Neil Young had taken at Trump Tower in New York City years back when Neil Young attempted to sell his music catalog to Donald Trump. So Spotify, of course, sided with Rogan and said that nonetheless, they would still take Neil Young's music off Spotify if that's what he wants. And who knows how that's all going to play out. But today, Barry Manilow joined the Neil Young cause and said, well, he doesn't want his music on Spotify if they leave Joe Rogan up either. Now, I don't know Barry Manilow, and I know very little about his music, mostly because it's bad. But did these guys just age themselves into retardation? I mean, that is so stupid. Spotify is not going to take down Joe Rogan because Neil Young and Barry Manilow complain. 
Like, and what is Barry Manilow thinking? Oh, well, that fire looks kind of warm. I guess I might as well jump right into it. Yeah. Hey, Barry, you ended up jumping into fire, man. Nothing is funnier than watching these clueless old musicians cancel themselves in support of censorship. Oh, we're just rock and roll and free love. Keep on rocking in the free world, man. Hey, I like Neil Young. All right. I'm not making fun of Neil Young's music, but wow, man. Wow. You are actually supporting censorship, begging for someone else to be canceled and censored because you don't like what they're saying. And the truth is you don't even know what they're saying because you don't listen to the shows. You were just told that they're spreading vaccine misinformation, very dangerous health misinformation. You're responsible for all those deaths. Hey, media, you're responsible for all those deaths. How about that? Because no one needed to lock down. Masks never worked. The vaccines are not safe and effective. In fact, they're quite dangerous, especially for children. And you're pushing that, too. You are responsible for all of that. We are forcing and coercing the participation in a massive medical experiment. In violation of the Nuremberg Codes. And that's being pushed by all of the most powerful institutions in the world in coordination and using useful idiots like Neil Young and Barry Manilow and all the other brain dead Hollywood influencers and nitwits who think that they are going to be more famous if they just say the, all the right things. Oh, everyone will see that we're such good people. We just want everybody to be safe with the vaccine. And if you say it's not safe, well, then you're saying that we're not good people. And huh, I guess you must be wrong. The Hollywood meltdown, the full on, full scale, widespread meltdown is about to begin. And it is going to be glorious. I mean, it's also going to probably be a little sad and depressing, but beyond that, hey, they did it to themselves. All right. If you are going to propagandize a society based on the science that you don't understand, and it is a perfect parallel to what happened in World War II Germany, then sorry, the country is going to enjoy when you finally have your moment of truth and your brain breaks as a result, hey, you did it to yourselves and you were warned. Now, speaking of censorship, boom segue, Brookings, the very famous Brookings Institution that hosted the likes of Igor Danchenko, who you know from the infamous Steele dossier has done some very, very important work that they published on Wednesday, the 26th. This is Megan Brown, Zev Sanderson, and Maria Alejandro Silva Ortega. Gender-based online violence spikes after prominent media attacks. Thank goodness someone has finally done this important study that will finally prove to everyone how much we need censorship. 
On March 9th, 2021, Fox News host Tucker Carlson took aim at a favorite target, a New York Times journalist. In the crosshairs was tech reporter Taylor Lorenz, one of the paper's rising stars who had recently described the toll of online harassment. The torrent of online hate she receives had, quote, destroyed her life, she said, in a tweet supporting the launch of the Online Violence Response Hub. Now, Taylor Lorenz is the most basic bitch millennial writer you could ever imagine. She does very highbrow reports on how things are going on TikTok, for instance, and she does things like contacting Kellyanne Conway's daughter, her teenage daughter, to get her to say bad things about her mom so Taylor Lorenz can come out and say that even Kellyanne Conway's daughter hates her. Destroyed her life? Really? By most people's standards, Taylor Lorenz would seem to have a pretty good life. One of the best lives in the country, in fact, Carlson intoned. Lots of people are suffering right now, but no one is suffering quite as much as Taylor Lorenz is suffering. After Carlson mocked Lorenz in his segment, her social media mentions and inbox were again filled with violent threats and harassment, a dynamic likely familiar to many women with a public presence online. The vitriol Lorenz endured was an example of gender-based online violence, which UNESCO recently characterized as online rhetoric against women designed to, quote, induce fear, silence and retreat and chill their active participation in public debate. Yet as problematic as the phenomenon is, it remains relatively understudied. Yes, what we need is way more studies. To better understand how gender-based online violence takes place, we therefore examined three instances in which female journalists were attacked by prominent male media figures on either social media or broadcast media, and then tracked the ways in which online violence against them spiked. I wonder if they've done the same sort of study about police officers. Now, that is a study I would really like to see. How often do leftist journalists attack police officers, and then what happens to police officers in the real world and online? Are they attacked? Are they doxxed? Are they shot? Are they killed? Oh, yeah, they are. Do they have mobs breaking into their precincts and burning them down to destroy evidence? Oh, yes, they do. But instead, let's study Taylor Lorenz's Twitter mentions. In order to analyze the relationship between attacks by prominent media figures and the quality of online discussion, we, NYU's Center for Social Media and Politics, and the International Women's Media Foundation, collected data on three case studies. Carlson's targeting of Taylor Lorenz above, the journalist Glenn Greenwald's targeting of Lorenz on Twitter, and Carlson's targeting of Virginia Heffernan in a separate segment on Fox News. Our analysis used large-scale quantitative data to assess how the public conversation surrounding these journalists changed in the aftermath of being targeted by prominent media personalities. The research findings showed sharp increases in harmful speech after the journalists were targeted by Carlson and Greenwald. And you see, what they are really upset at here is that The outside opinion has pierced through the bubble. 
right? Because the bubble not only keeps them in and keeps them in a closed community, it also generally prevents the outside opinion from getting in because most of the people outside the bubble don't pay any attention to Taylor Lorenz. So she can do all the terrible things she wants with no repercussions until someone finds out. And that, of course, is what they're mad at. Glenn Greenwald, by the way, I don't care about the identity games, but they do. So let's be very clear about Glenn Greenwald. Glenn Greenwald is more or less a hard leftist. He is a communist, essentially, who is beginning to wake up from that terrible slumber. But he's fully vaxxed, fully liberal and gay. And I would guarantee you that Glenn Greenwald gets attacked for being gay by leftists every time he calls out anything on the left. Our analysis used large scale quantitative data to assess how the public conversation surrounding these journalists changed in the aftermath of being targeted by prominent media personalities. The research findings showed sharp increases in harmful speech after the journalists were targeted by Carlson and Greenwald. For each of the three case studies, we first collected tweets that mentioned Lorenz or Heffernan, either by their name or Twitter handle, in the days before and after they were targeted by Greenwald or Carlson. Next, we examined the content of these tweets for a variety of factors, their toxicity, content likely to deter someone from participating in a conversation. So does that count like just saying they're wrong or saying, hey, you're lying? That might discourage someone else from participating in their conversation. The presence of threats, insults, or identity attacks, and whether the comments were sexually explicit. We did so using Perspective, an open source tool created by Jigsaw and Google that allows us to measure harmful content in text. Thank goodness Google did that. We wouldn't be able to have such incredible studies if Google didn't provide the technology to ensure us that our side was being targeted unfairly and that the only solution is censorship. These values were scored from zero to one, where items scored closer to one are more likely to contain harmful text. We then plotted the 24-hour moving average of toxicity, threat, insult, identity attack, and sexually explicit tweets before and after a figure targeted a female journalist. By taking the average of these scores for a given period of time, we can approximate the proportion of these tweets that were harmful. After Carlson targeted Lorenz in a segment on his Fox News show, we found that one in two tweets mentioning Lorenz contained either toxic or insulting language. Overall, the rate of harmful speech in her mentions increased by 115% following Carlson's segment. Figure one plots the change in the online conversation around Lorenz following Carlson's attack. And ooh, it goes up a little bit. And then six days later, it is right back to where it was. No kidding. That's the graph they show. In figure two, we plot the 24-hour moving average of tweets before and after Greenwald targeted Lorenz. The figure shows that after Greenwald's attack, the likelihood that tweets mentioning Lorenz would contain harmful speech increased by 144%. Peaking on August 15th, 2021, two days after he targeted Lorenz. And then four days later, it was right back to where it was before. In fact, 
it literally lasted for one day, which is crazy, too, because, I mean, cops are still getting killed 18 months after everybody decided it was okay to riot in the middle of a very deadly pandemic because George Floyd died from a fentanyl overdose. Finally, we constructed a similar time series examining the online conversation around Heffernan after she was targeted by Carlson in a segment on March 9th, 2021. Subsequently, the likelihood that tweets mentioning Heffernan would contain harmful language increased by 65%. Wow. Gosh, how did she deal with it? Did it drop down back to the original level within one week? Yes, it did. In fact, it only took two days and was well under the baseline another two days later. Taken together, these figures describe a disheartening trend. After a prominent male media personality targets a female journalist, the prevalence of hateful speech targeting those journalists increases in the immediate aftermath, often taking days to decrease. As Carlson's initial quote above illustrates, prominent male journalists themselves often downplay the severity of online violence against women. Oh, well, you know what? That's because it's not violence. It's tweets. Do they get censored? No. Then they're not actually being attacked online. How about that? How about that's the new standard? Taylor Loren still makes a lot of money to write stories about TikTok. And we're not even allowed in the polite conversation because we would make all these people look like the idiots they are. Yet the attacks can have serious implications, including becoming full-blown gender disinformation campaigns that seek to silence the voices of female journalists by undermining their credibility. Hey, their credibility is undermined by the work product they put out. That's what undermines their credibility. When people point that out, that is actually a correction in the system. That is why the free market of ideas matters so that the system actually can correct itself. Unfortunately, the online violence Lorenz and Heffernan have experienced is neither uncommon nor limited to the United States. In the Philippines, for example, President Rodrigo Duterte has made the journalist and Nobel Peace Prize winner Maria Ressa a frequent target of attack in his speeches and statements, exposing her to vitriolic disinformation and harassment campaigns. Her experience amplifies an alarming trend. In a report released by the International Center for Journalists and UNESCO last year, researchers found that 73% of the women journalists surveyed had experienced online violence. And one third of these women reported experiencing a physical attack that they believed was related to the online harm they experienced. I would love to examine that research. Research indicates that nearly 30% of women journalists who have experienced these attacks have considered leaving the profession as a result. The private implications of this type of harassment are well documented, including in police reports for stalking and threatening emails and direct messages. I wonder if they studied any of the female journalists on the right. And you'll never believe this, but the International Center for Journalists has a George Soros Justice Media Fellowship on Criminal Justice. That's so great. Thank goodness they were available to contribute to this report. But who's UNESCO? 
Well, here's UNESCO from their own website, unesco.org slash partnerships. Who are UNESCO's partners? UNESCO's approach to partnership is firmly anchored in the 2030 agenda and at its heart lies SDG 17 partnership for the goals. UNESCO's partners include United Nations Development System, donors, key constituencies like young people, cities and business, NGOs, IGOs, and what we call UNESCO family partners. And who are UNESCO's donors? Well, here are their top 10 private donors, the Education Above All Foundation, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the Kuwait Foundation for the Advancement of Sciences, King Salman Humanitarian Aid and Relief Center, Sultan bin Abdulaziz Al Saud Foundation, DSZ International Giving Foundation, the L'Oreal Foundation, SESI, LVMH, and the William and Flora Hewlett Foundation. Thank goodness for philanthropists, man. They get the most important work funded. This is exactly the kind of work you can take out into the world and say, hey, elites, hey, child brains, just look at this. We have an authoritative study that tells you that women are the targets of online violence, a term that we made up and defined. And anything that you say that disagrees with any woman online counts as violence. And we did this study, and the only solution to this historical brand of sexism, even though social media has only existed for 20 years, is more censorship. Speaking to us, Lorenz emphasized the gendered nature of her harassment. It is not a coincidence that when Tucker Carlson pulled up my account on air, that they replaced my Twitter profile picture with a picture from eight years ago to try to paint me as a Gen Z TikTok reporter. Like, and that's the end of her quote, for real. Like, really, I'm a millennial TikTok reporter. Lorenz receives death threats daily and on several instances has had strangers show up in her neighborhood looking for her. Online trolls have spread disinformation about her, ranging from falsehoods about where she went to college to accusations about her stalking teenagers on the Internet. And she didn't stalk them. I mean, yes, they were, they were all totally underage. And she did continue to pursue them until she made contact with them and then try to gain their trust even over that of their parents. And then she got information and then she wrote articles about them. But <laughs> she didn't stalk them. That's crazy. And accusations about where she went to college who are these monsters we have all dealt with jerks online it's this reputational harm that creates long-term damage loren says it is smears changing the narrative about you reframing your stories in a controversial way that is the really harmful stuff yeah, you can't have your stories reframed by the readers who can actually see what it is you're really saying, despite how your personal little tiny bubbled community might view it, Taylor. Fortunately, there are some resources to help women journalists when they face attacks online. For example, the Coalition Against Online Violence, a group of nearly 50 press freedom, technology, human rights and news organizations organized by the International Women's Media Foundation is providing women journalists with a support system to protect them. The IWMF and, as we mentioned before, the International Center for Journalists also 
provide access to those resources through the online violence response hub. I wonder what those resources are. So let's find out because they provided a handy link. So you can just go to the online violence response hub. And on the front page, it says, get help. Which of these describes you best journalist newsroom, or I want to support someone. Let's try journalist, which scenario best describes your situation. I've been doxxed. I'm in the middle of a severe online attack. I'm getting online abuse. I have a problem with an image. I have a problem with my online accounts. I want to prepare for online abuse. <laughs> I want to learn more about online abuse. All right. Let's say that we're in the middle of a severe online attack. Please choose from the following emergency steps to take emergency assistance, physical security support, secure accounts, secure your online data, documenting an attack, psychosocial support or legal support. And I say we take emergency assistance. And then it has access to a, a 24 seven hotline and you can get in touch with many of their other very helpful groups, probably all sponsored and run by the same sort of communist globalists as the rest of the groups mentioned in this absurd Brookings piece. I cannot believe that they waste money doing these studies. I mean, I totally can, obviously, because I know what they're for. But how did our world get to this place? That's what I'm really getting at. Yet preventing gender-based online violence remains a challenge. Although many online platforms have taken steps to address these attacks, there is still a lot of work to be done to ensure the safety of female journalists online. Even more, analysis of the phenomenon is at an early stage. Further research is needed to better understand both the short and long-term impacts of online violence on female journalists and their role in the public discourse. And I would say, yes, if you are going to pretend that this is actually some sort of real problem, then you should probably do some more work on it because all you did was try to score Twitter responses to truly reprehensible people after someone had the nerve outside the bubble to point out that they were in fact reprehensible. That is what we are worried about. And they studied them for one week, one week. Thank goodness we have our elites around to fix everything and tell us how everything should be. They are trying to make it so that no one on the left can ever be disputed online. No one and nothing, nothing they write. Everything they write is true and perfect. Whoever they are, they need to be safe at all times to say whatever they want, and no one can disagree with them. Because if people disagree with them, then they might have thoughts about how what they're doing and saying might be wrong, and you just can't have that. That is the kind of harassment that people like Taylor Lorenz simply cannot abide. She has never been told she is wrong in her entire life. That's how she got here. Now, I want to run through a quick story on the post-millennial, and then it's time for the actual big news of the day. I didn't mean to hold it back like this for an hour, but, you know, if you follow the info stream, you already know about it. And I'm not just trying to keep you hanging. It's just I felt like the show would be better this way. Hey, maybe I'm wrong. 
So this is from the Post Millennial today. Biden admin briefs Wall Street banks on potential Russian sanctions. After President Joe Biden and Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky had a call on Thursday that reportedly did not go well, Wall Street was briefed Friday morning on potential sanctions that could be imposed on Russia. The Biden administration reportedly discussed potential sanctions with major American banks in an effort to not let those sanctions or Biden's potential actions in Ukraine, quote, disrupt the global financial system, end quote, according to Bloomberg. Citigroup, Bank of America, J.P. Morgan Chase and Goldman Sachs were all briefed this week by members of the National Security Council. Sanctions could include preventing Russia from being able to convert currency. In a press conference last week, Biden was asked about Russia and said that Vladimir Putin, quote, has never seen sanctions like the ones I promised, end quote, if the nation moves against Ukraine. Russia will be held accountable, he said. These sanctions include that, quote, their banks will not be able to deal in dollars. And again, we can see Russia and China, El Salvador with their Bitcoin. These countries are beginning to move away from the central banks. And that, of course, is what all of this is about. And Biden is trying to threaten to pull the plug on their access to the central banks as a form of deterrence, except it's not Biden speaking for the central banks and Russia and China and El Salvador don't seem to care. On Thursday, after the phone call between Zelensky and Biden, CNN reported that a senior Ukrainian official said that the call did not go well. There were reportedly disagreements between the two leaders as to the imminence of a Russian invasion of Ukraine. That tweet was later deleted by CNN as the network appeared to do damage control over their reporting and the White House narrative. In the White House's readout of the call, CNN reported, quote, there was no mention of President Biden's warnings or of the two presidents disagreement, end quote. According to CNN's unnamed Ukrainian source, Biden told Zelensky that the city of Kiev was at risk of being, quote, sacked. The White House disagreed with this assessment. But isn't that interesting that the Biden administration contacts, reaches out to Wall Street so that their National Security Council can brief Wall Street and prepare Wall Street? Why aren't they briefing and preparing American investors and American citizens? Nope. Just the central banks. Just the stakeholders, right? Stakeholder capitalism. Nope. It's just fascism. Now, finally, let's get to the biggest story of the day. And it is truly a massive story. It's not being played that way, of course. You're not going to hear about it from the mainstream media probably for a few more days. Once it advances a little bit, you might begin to hear the murmurs. But this is from today on the local Wilkes Bar NBC affiliate. Court finds Pennsylvania mail-in voting law unconstitutional. The Commonwealth Court of Pennsylvania has found the Commonwealth's no excuse mail-in voting law Act 77 is unconstitutional. According to court documents, 14 members of the Pennsylvania House of Representatives filed a petition to block the 2019 law that would allow any qualified voter to vote by mail. The law allowed voters to submit a ballot by mail up to 50 days before an election. That's insane. And place voters on a list to permanently receive a ballot application by mail. 
It also established 15 more days to register to vote and extended mail-in and absentee submission deadlines. Act 77 also outlined rules for voting machine decertification and appropriated funding for voting machine upgrades that provide a verifiable paper trail. Acting Secretary of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, Veronica DeGraffenried, argued that the challenge to no-excuse mail-in voting lacked standing and that the challenge was untimely filed. Got that? There's not even an argument toward its constitutionality. They're just saying the people who brought this suit are not allowed to bring it. They don't have standing and that you didn't file it in time. The court's ruling and opinion issued by President Judge Emerita, Mary Hannah Levitt, can be read below and they link the decision. The Commonwealth can appeal the court's decision, but an official decision whether to do so has not yet been announced. In 2019, Governor Tom Wolf said Act 77 made voting more convenient and more secure for millions of Pennsylvanians. Okay, so let's start there at the end. The excuse for why passing an unconstitutional law was a good thing, according to Pennsylvania communist governor Tom Wolf, was that it made voting more convenient and simultaneously more secure for millions of Pennsylvanians. Except we know for a fact, a studied, accepted fact by people from every side prior to the 2020 election cycle, that is, mail-in ballots are less secure. Mail-in ballots are more prone to fraud. And not only is the ballot itself more prone to fraud and abuse, the fact that those ballots come through the mail with no real person attached to voting them opens up all kinds of other opportunities for fraud and abuse, and everyone with a brain knows it. So it definitely doesn't make it more secure, makes it more convenient for whom? For whom? Voting is as convenient as it needs to be. Go to the place and vote. If you can't do that in Pennsylvania, you were already able to submit a request for a mail-in ballot that you could then vote. It literally could not be more convenient than that. All right. No one should be voting from home unless they are confined to their home. All right. Everybody wants the elderly to be able to vote. No one on our side argues that certain people shouldn't be allowed to vote. And people who are away at college or in the military or, you know, for some other reasons, they should be allowed to apply for a ballot and vote by mail as well. All right. That's not the problem people have. The problem is when millions and millions of unaccountable mail-in ballots go out to who knows where, sometimes to buildings where 50 ballots arrive and no one lives there at all, sometimes to empty lots, sometimes, as we mentioned last week, they go to a fraternity house where, according to the voter information on those ballots, the average age of all the fraternity members is 45 years old. It doesn't make any sense. And by the way, just as an aside, I talked about the Gateway Pundit pieces last week about that group, Eric, that is responsible for cleaning the voter rolls, but instead they just add tons and tons of Democrat registrations. Well, the Secretary of State of Louisiana 
has severed the relationship of Louisiana and Eric. That is great news and big news. And man, seems like the Gateway Pundit's got to get some credit for that. So Tom Wolf himself had absolutely no argument about the constitutionality of what they implemented. He simply repeated two completely false and dishonest slogans that the mail-in ballots would make voting more convenient, which they theorize opens the process to all sorts of voters who wouldn't have otherwise voted, even though there's legitimately no proof that's true, and that it would make it more secure. And that is just comically stupid. No one believes that. So Tom Wolf has no constitutional argument. Acting Secretary of the Commonwealth, Veronica de Graffenreid, has no constitutional argument. She argued that they weren't the right people to be suing and that it was too late. And that's it. And the court has decided. And maybe they will try to find some constitutional grounds on which they can appeal this. I imagine they will try to do that no matter what so that they can keep pushing this out because otherwise they have to accept that this is now the second state in the country where courts have legitimately and fully and completely decided that the 2020 election that was held in their state was unconstitutional, which makes it illegal. Okay. Pennsylvania and Wisconsin. Wisconsin has had actually two court decisions that point to that. The first being that the indefinitely confined status voters should not have been counted because they claimed indefinitely confined status illegally outside of the law so that they could apply for and cast ballots without voter ID evading the law. The Wisconsin court also decided that the mail-in ballot drop boxes were illegal and that they were illegal In 2020, the same sort of decision was made in this case. They call it ab initio from the beginning, which means that not only is this measure that they put in place illegal going forward, it was illegal from the start. Everything that has followed from that unconstitutional provision should be null and void. Now, the court case isn't about that part. We are going to have to wait for that part. And part of that will be political. It actually matters that people put pressure on the politicians in Pennsylvania to get them to decertify their election and reclaim their electors. They held an illegal election. And this case actually started before they certified their electors. This case has been ongoing from November 2020. So when the communists on television and the communists around you in your life say that the election was very safe and secure and that all the courts saw the evidence and they decided that Donald Trump was lying. Well, that's not true at all. And in fact, this isn't even about the evidence of fraud at all. This is about the election was straight up illegal. The whole thing. There's already plenty going on in Delaware County, Pennsylvania, to overturn the fraudulent election by itself. But now this essentially invalidates most, if not all, of the mail-in ballots cast in Pennsylvania. 2,637,065 mail-in and absentee ballots cast and counted for the election. That is directly from Pennsylvania's Department of State website. Why did they need all those ballots? Why did they need them? 
Well, they couldn't have even pretended to push Joe Biden over the finish line without them. And again, this is the case in all of the swing states and probably a whole bunch of other states as well. We know for a fact the numbers of ballots that were definitely already illegal. That's true in Georgia. It's true in Arizona. It's true in Michigan. It's true in Nevada. We already know that more votes than account for the difference have been proven to be illegal. All of these states should already be decertified. They should have never been certified in the first place. But we are going in the direction of decertification at an increasingly high speed. And we're just going to continue to hear more. There is a lot more of this story still to play out, and we haven't even gotten into the Lindell stuff. What happens when Dominion rescinds its defamation lawsuits against Mike Lindell, Sidney Powell, Rudy Giuliani, and Fox News? Because Lindell's got everything, and all that data is moving forward in the process. The conclusion is inevitable. And I'm not talking about timelines and I'm not talking about Trump returning immediately or in a few months or whenever it is. Okay. I mean, I have my opinions and my thoughts on it, but I understand a lot of people that's too much. They can't even imagine a situation. All right. I get it. All this stuff is moving forward. You know, for a fact, the elections are illegal. If you are still saying, but nothing's going to happen. Then, as I mentioned at the beginning when I was talking about that clip of Joe Biden bragging about withholding USAID in order to get that prosecutor fired. If you see something like that and you say nobody cares, perhaps it's you that doesn't care. And I'm, you know, I get it. I'm not trying to go too hard. I'm just saying it actually does matter. When you have these conversations with people that you say, actually, hey, you know what? The election was totally illegal. And here's what happened in Pennsylvania. And here's what happened in Wisconsin. Here's what happened in Georgia. Here's what happened in Arizona. Look at that. Already, these are illegal elections. They went to the wrong person. You can continue to ignore this and deny this. But if you cared about the country, you would actually be telling people this so that we can build the collective momentum to seek real change, lasting change, sweep all of this corruption out of the government. That is where this train stops. Okay. And it doesn't stop before then. And the truth is it has more stops after we hit that station because we actually have to maintain a free and fair country for all of us well into the future. That's why we have the United States of America in the first place. You can't just let it go because you say, oh, no one cares. No one's going to help me. Pull up your pants and let's save the country. I'll be back on Monday at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting, or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. That's why I'm so grateful Anchor exists. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. They knock down all the barriers to entry. Let me explain. First off, it's free. I don't know how or why, but I'm happy about it. 
The platform is great. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I can't even begin to describe how much easier it was to get my show on all the major platforms this time than it was a few years ago. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. You build your show, you make money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, and the company is committed to the success of its content creators. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks for listening. Follow the podcast on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm your moderator. You can join the discussion at t.me slash I'm reasonable. I'm also on Gab and Getter at I'm your moderator. The Substack is I'm your moderator and the merch site is cancelcouture.com. You can also go direct to that at shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. I'll see you next time out on the range. It's high noon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com 
slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofi. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!